1: I cannot recall much of the time in prison, but after the war, my father told me that apparently I screamed that loud when they took my baby sister away, that he said that scream was in his head all the time when he was in the different concentration camps, and he never forgot that.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, you read about the Holocaust in history books and see documentaries and movies on TV, but rarely do you get a chance to talk with someone firsthand who experienced it. And that's exactly what we'll be doing today as Holocaust survivor Nettie will share her story in part one of a three-part series. Nettie grew up in Amsterdam and was in hiding in an area not too far from where Corey Ten Boom was living during World War II. We're so grateful that she was able to sit down with Eric Scatterbo and share her incredible story in our Melbourne studios. Welcome to the
2: program. Thank you. Glad to have you with us. And let's go right back to the very beginning. You were born in 1938 in Amsterdam. Yes, in
1: Amsterdam.
2: And then, of course, the war started just a few years later.
1: Yes, yes.
2: And what are your earliest impressions of your childhood in Amsterdam?
1: Uh, My first impression was really when during the war when so many people came to our house because i was only a young child and uh, when family was persecuted they oft from the country they often came and fled to amsterdam first and stayed with us and my father who was working in the underground he tried to find them places to go into hiding that is the first impressions i still i remember as a child
2: And we should back up and find out a little bit about your family. Your father was not Jewish, but your mother was.
1: My mother was, yes. Yes, my father worked with the uh, government house in Amsterdam. and had a very high position, and he was able, because of his position and knowing people, he was able to get blank passports and food coupons And because um, the Jews couldn't get food coupons. Mm. So he he got them, and... um, handed them out to to the people who needed them, yeah.
2: Okay, and then the Netherlands were taken over by the Nazis in 1940, and they gave your father an ultimatum?
1: Yes, because of so many Jews living in Amsterdam, uh, most were all integrated with the rest of the people, Uh and and it was not uncommon that... um, non-Jews would marry Jews because of so many Jews living there. And and so the, and that is how my father married my mum and um, he integrated himself completely in the Jewish community. Yeah. And when this ultimatum came that those who are not Jews but married to Jews, if they uh, leave their relationship and divorce, then uh, they wouldn't be persecuted but they were and my father wasn't going to leave my mum because he loved her too much and he couldn't see uh, you know to leave her and with two children and uh, no way it was his wife and he wanted to protect her
2: and as you mentioned earlier, he went on to help out with the resistance Yes.
1: Movement. And and what so often happened, he was so, was so busy helping so many other people to get out of the country. And it is recorded that he helped 220 Jews to escape. Oh, wow. But the thing is, he never got time to organize his own paperwork for his own family, and that often happens, isn't it? Oh, so
2: if he would have just thought about himself, he could have got his whole family out. Yeah, yeah. But he was so busy helping others. Helping others. Wow.
1: Yeah.
2: And then what happened?
1: And then because we had so many Jewish family coming through our house to escape from the country where they were living, um, that um, our neighbours started to become suspicious with all these people coming and going. And um, in the end, it was too dangerous for us to stay there and we had to leave ourselves. And just
2: as a side note, you mentioned to us before we started to record that the general population went on strike in support of the Jews.
1: Yes, yes, for three days until it was uh, repressed by the Nazis. But um, yeah, the whole because that is when they realized that Jews were taken out of the houses and been transported out. Yes.
2: Okay, so getting back to your father's situation, he realized it was getting dangerous.
1: Yeah, and and at first we apparently we moved to a house. Um, I can't remember much. Only I remember that um, I wasn't allowed to take any toys with me, and I and I missed my teddy bear. And that mm-hmm. was that is all I remember from the first place. The second place was with my mother's eldest sister, and that is when. I remember quite a bit more of that, but we only stayed there for just under a fortnight because that is when uh, a cousin of my father was arrested with a suitcase full of paperwork and false passports and uh, coupons, you know. For so this. he
2: was helping out the resistance? He, oh,
1: yeah, the, yes, and that is when we—that uh, when the resistance movements very quickly got us out of the, that house there, And that is when we were moved to Harlem to, uh, they found a small two-bedroom place where we moved into and then together actually with my grandmother. And my mother's youngest brother uh, came later, about half a year later. They came, he, he came as his wife to stay and also one of my cousins.
2: And if I understand it correctly, that was the general area that Corey Tenboom was in?
1: Yeah, not that far from the center where uh, Corey Ten Boom's father had to shop, yeah.
2: Okay, so if people are familiar with her story, that's kind of the yes. general area yes. where you were hiding. Yes. So at this point in the story, you're about five, six years old? Five
1: years. If, when we moved to Harlem, I was five years, yeah.
2: Okay, and you're told just to be quiet. All the time.
1: Yes, my brother and I weren't allowed to play out. Actually, we had to have to have the windows all darkened up and um, there was no light in the house, natural light coming in. And, um, yeah, we weren't allowed to go outside at all.
2: What were um, you thinking was going on? This was just normal for you?
1: Well, uh, a child very quickly adapts mm-hmm. and... Yeah. Um, just took it all in our stride, I would say, yeah.
2: So, at the time, obviously, you're only five, six years old. You're not yeah. knowing about the political situation no, World no. War II and everything. That's right. You're just obeying your parents. Yep. And how long did that go on?
1: Uh, actually, when we moved in that house, that was in August 1943, and – yeah, and, and uh, the 31st of May, 1944, that is the day we found out and been arrested. Okay, yeah.
2: before we get to that fateful day, were you struggling? Was it hard to just be hiding all the time?
1: No, not for me. Yeah, I, I You know, I had my parents there, my grandmother and, my, and uncle and aunt, and they kept us occupied. And, um, you know, so... It you wasn't just, like no, terrible. It wasn't like you were for, in prison. No, not... We uh, oh, okay. No. <laughs> I,
2: I'm just trying to <laughs>
1: yes. relate
2: to if I was yes. that age, yeah. having to be quiet yeah, all the time.
1: Yeah, it's because, you know, it probably was first in the beginning very hard for my parents to teach us to be quiet. No, no, not to yell or... Yeah, because kids make that. noise and uh, yeah, you run around. That's right. But uh, we soon adapted to that and, mm-hmm. um, yeah.
2: but then your mother had a baby
1: yes now and you can
2: tell 5, 6 year old children to be quiet <laughs> I don't know how you tell that to a baby
1: <laughs> you can't tell a baby no I know um, and that is when it got to my mum and uh, she couldn't cope at all and it was just getting too much for her and she just begged my father at the time we need to go out you know And then in the end, when my baby sister was only two weeks old, uh, he gave in. And we had only just left the house. And you know how sometimes there are things that you remember that is like a clear picture, like a photo image in your mind that you never leave. Mm -hmm. And that is what happened that day. Because I can remember exactly how it was my mum and my dad they were wheeling the pram, and I remember my brother just happily running in front. And were it, you excited it, just, to be outside? Yeah, at first? because that is when we first time we went outside on the street, and we were only going to go just around the block because my mother wanted to buy a birthday present for me because oh. my birthday came up, mm. my sixth birthday. And it was very long, not even five minutes. I would say that um, very in my in a child's eye, this person was very tall because he was taller than my parents, uh, and my parents were small. So, uh, but in my child's eye, he was this a very tall man in a uniform, and who spoke a language. I couldn't understand, wasn't Dutch, it uh, was German and straight away questioned my father because they were looking for him and so they must have had a photo of him uh, just to, Wow, you just see? five minutes We were only just, yeah, five, no more than five minutes out on the street and we were arrested right there and then we'd taken over the bridge straight into a police station I remember that
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scatterbo is chatting with Holocaust survivor Nettie, who is in hiding not too far away from where Corey Ten Boom was living during World War II. We've just heard how, unfortunately, her family was arrested by the Nazis. We'll hear the next chapter in her life when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. We're continuing with Holocaust survivor Nettie sharing her life journey. Before the break, we heard how her family was arrested by the Nazis after they had been in hiding not too far from where Corey ten Boom was living during World War II. Next, we'll find out what happened after they were taken to the local police station.
1: A lady from the Red Cross came in and just wheeled the pram away. And, um, Your younger sister. Yeah, didn't know why. And the next thing, we were in prison, in the local prison in, in Harlem. In
2: your child's mind, are you thinking, hey, what did we do wrong? Did that come to your mind?
1: Well, um, the whole problem is I cannot recall much of the time in prison. But after the war, my father told me that apparently I screamed That loud, when they took my baby sister away, when we seemed to be getting separated, that he said that scream was in his head all the time when he was in the different concentration Mm -hmm. camps, and he never forgot that. And my father never talked about the war afterwards until we were married already, much older, and he... Said a f- told us a few things and the first thing that is what, what he told me that he's never forgotten that and my own doctor I had a lo- lovely Jewish doctor here in Melbourne where we were living in the beginning and he said sometimes with that things block out and mm. and he said and then don't go there and I haven't I, I, mm. I, I don't want to know but the time in prison I cannot remember only that all the children were all of a sudden called out and a whole group of children, Jewish children, and we stood there. And I remember these big trucks coming up and I saw my mum had to climb on the truck and I was waving goodbye to her, thinking that I'll see her again soon. And that was it. And we were all taken to the local orphanage.
2: So you're separated, so separated. from your
1: and that was so strange because normally children, half families, would go to the camps, you know. And I mean, I've I've got, I did some research on my family, and there was even from one of my cousins it was even a seventy-eight-day-old baby that was killed at Auschwitz, you know. Mm. So you, why them and not us. You never know. Yeah. I like to think that we might have had an, a Christian soldier there that was in charge that couldn't cope with say and saved all the children. But that day when my mother was taken on that truck, all the children in the prison were taken out, taken to the orphanage.
2: What happened to your mother?
1: Actually, my parents were both separated. My father went to... A place in 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 Holland called Vught, and the other one was taken to Westerborg was another place in uh, uh, in Holland. I visited that place, and um, uh, that is where the Jews first were sent to, and uh, from there to Auschwitz.
2: Mm.
1: After a few days, when I was in that orphanage. Um, There was a distant family member from my father's side who I'd never met before. And um, they were contacted through the Red Cross. And she came and she took me and my brother back to Amsterdam. And my grandmother from my father's mother, Mm -hmm. um, that's where we stayed overnight overnight. And I I remember that so clearly because he was this lady that was going to take me to her home in The Hague and, and I was there with my brother. And I remember my grandmother, she had beautiful furniture and I remember her pulling two big armchairs together and making up a bed for me <laughs> to sleep. And it's such so strange things that you remember, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, And then the next day we had to go on, on the train and it took ages because, you know, a lot of the time the railways were bombed down and you had to get out and, and walk again and then go on to another train. But when we finished up back in The Hague and um, we're This family left was it was only a husband and wife because she couldn't have children of her own, and she just took me in like her own child. She really they were really lovely for me, but the life in The Hague during that last year of the war was shocking. Yes, I
2: mean, it's historic how terrible it was.
1: And I remember, you know, one point. We had to have all our windows blocked out. And as a child, you know, you, you want to see what is going on. And but I, I,
2: apparently by that time, you were kind of used to that type of thing.
1: Y- yes, but still, you know, oh, yeah. you, you're still children and children, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. And but and I remember, you know, pulling away the um, curtain a little bit to see what was on. And all I could see was this soldier across the road standing already standing, whole row of soldiers all standing ready with their guns to shoot. And it was one of those days that, and they came, first they came, you know, once in a while to the house to search for me, young men who would be hiding uh, because all young men had to go to Germany to work. Oh, uh, this was
2: any young man, Jewish any, or Oh, no, Jewish, no, no, no,
1: not the not Jews. This was just the normal uh, population. And mm-hmm. uh, all men... I think from under 40 had to go to Germany to work and they wouldn't, didn't want to, you know, and they mm-hmm. went into all sorts of hiding places, you couldn't imagine. and well, um, up
2: in the roof and... Yeah, in
1: cupboards, cupboards, everywhere and stuff, under yeah. the floors, you know, wherever they could make a hiding place. And so then they came searching every house in the street and first that was, you know, once in a while but then it, towards the end of the war it became more regularly and... It was just very scary because I, you know, I was very scared when they came in the house. And you know, I would crawl in the cupboard or I would crawl under the bed or I was, you know. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now,
2: were you in hiding because you were With Jewish family,
1: yeah. But they didn't know that I wasn't their child.
2: Oh, okay. Oh, they thought they you, you were. They had changed
1: my name.
2: And because your father's oh, yeah. family was non-Jewish, these relatives were not jewish
1: Yeah. No. Oh, so you changed your name. Yeah, my grandmother decided that when this lady had picked me up from Harlem, uh, from the orphanage, that when I came to my grandma's place, she said, we have to change the name. Because Nettie at the time was very popular among the Jewish community. And there was a church across the road where um, my grandmother was, and it was a Catholic church called St. Agnes, and she said, oh, let's call her Agnes, and so I became Agnes. um, (laughs) So suddenly you're told you're Agnes now. And uh, and so it was just to keep me safe. That is why they called me there. um, But when we were in The Hague, we often... When they found young men to, you know, they would be taken to the local square and and they would round us all up, the whole street, all the people. We all had to go to the square to witness those young men being shot. And that as a child, I was, you know, six and a half by then seven, coming close to seven. That was something I never forget because it's just, you know, it's just horrible.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that was intimidation, it was...
1: Yes, it was... Inti- that was really, words, yeah.
2: if you disobey, this could this happen is to This could
1: happen to you, yeah. yeah. Or to your sons, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then, at the lowest point, if I understand correctly, the Nazi army surrounded your town, The Hague.
1: Yeah, they closed off, they, they did.
2: Um, so no food could come uh,
1: in? Uh, no food. Farmers couldn't bring in their food, and but then... You know, all but was in, in the town itself was completed. And people who had their own businesses, you know, or like shops, they wouldn't give away uh, the food, you know. They kept it for their own families. And that is when... Um, so what yeah, did you eat? Well, this auntie, where I was staying with, she went at night often went to the schools where the germans were camped and she that is when she steals the potato peels and um, and we'd come home and she scrubs them clean and cooked them and that is all we had to eat because we had no food so you stayed in bed in the morning until halfway and then you got up had full lunch you had potato peels and Went to bed early because there was no food. Uh,
2: and what do potato peels taste like? Uh, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you don't have pleasant memories of these.
1: No way, no way.
2: But you had to. But you had to because yeah.
1: there was nothing else. And when you're hungry, you eat. Yeah. And um,
2: so uh, that lasted a year.
1: So no, no, that was only for a few months. And mm-hmm. um, but all, that
2: was the the worst of the worst. That was the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And then we heard all these um, planes coming over and uh, dropping off parcels, and yeah, and that is when we had stale bread. Yeah, yeah. It tell tasted us about like that. cake.
2: Yeah, <laughs> my auntie us.
1: said it just was like dry stale bread with nothing on it, that, and, and my auntie said it tasted like cake. But I didn't know what cake tasted. <laughs> so never had cake in my life. So
2: these were Allied.
1: Yeah, from the airline. Yes, dropping like,
2: Dropping food yeah. parcels. But yeah. you said it was stale bread, but yeah. it tasted... Beautiful. <laughs> because
1: you, yeah, no, it was a whole
2: lot better than potato peelings. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> yes, yes. So that and was
2: toward the end of the, that the war. That was the
1: end of the war, yeah. yeah. And, and then
2: so finally, liberation?
1: Liberation. And, uh, uh, and, and it was f- strange because although, you know... People came out and shouted, you know, we're free. And you still seem to be in this, um, that way of thinking that you are free, that you really can walk on the street without, you know, being arrested or anything. Yeah, I think it really got into the people's mindset Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. But the thing was... My my auntie started to look for a school where I could go to because the local school, they had to be cleaned out and the Germans had been camping there. And then by the time I went to school, see, the thing was, the problem was because she never had any children of her own, she didn't know what to do with me. And they never gave it a thought of teaching me in that time how to write my name, how to... I completely did not know anything.
2: Oh, so, I mean, just one of the side effects of the war was you weren't being schooled. No. So you didn't know how to write? No. No. that?
1: I mean, my mother would have taught me, you know, how to write my name mm, and that. Yeah. And I knew a bit, but I only knew how to write Nettie. But I was Agnes now, and I oh. had no idea how to write that name. But um, anyway, when I went to school... I had to start off I was seven years old, and I was to start off at the lowest grade, even had to write my name and count and oh, wow. so it was, that was hard, but that was the hardest thing was that after a few days, some of the children came up to me and they said, um, my mum and dad said that we're not allowed to play with you because you are a Jew."
0: That was part one of a three-part series with Holocaust survivor Nettie sharing her life journey. And it was really heartbreaking to hear her first-person account of all the injustices and persecution they experienced. As I was listening, I was trying to put myself in her position and imagine what it must have been like as a little child to be arrested for no apparent reason and have your family taken away from you. How horrific it must have been. However, at this point in her story, mercifully, the war has come to an end. The evil Nazi regime has been defeated, but now Nettie experiences another form of injustice, anti-Semitism. Also, we'll hear next time about the unjust treatment she received from her stepmother and the emotional scars she suffered. One Bible verse that has come to mind while listening to Nettie's story is from Hebrews. Remember those in prison and being mistreated as if you were in prison with them and undergoing their torture yourselves. Well, thanks for joining us for part one of Nettie's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, inviting you to join us again next time for part two. And as always, I encourage you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
1: I thought, okay... If the synagogue is closed, where is God? Where can I find God? That is what my aim became. I I really came a little bit, you could say, possessed about it. I wanted to find God, you know. And then I thought, okay, probably he's gone to the churches.
0: We invite you to join us for part two of Holocaust survivor Nettie sharing her life journey. At this point in the story, World War II has ended and now Nettie goes on a search for God. We'll discover how she eventually comes to Australia and hears a preacher that changes the direction of her life. Next time. The Story. story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.